0: Book One, Chapter Two of Cecilia. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nikki Sullivan. Cecilia: Memoirs of an Heiress by Fanny Burney. Book One, Chapter Two. Mister Monckton had at this time a party of company assembled at his house for the purpose of spending the Christmas holidays. He waited with anxiety the arrival of Cecilia, and flew to hand her from the chaise before Mr. Harrel could alight. He observed the melancholy of her countenance, and was much pleased to find that her London journey had so little power to charm her. He conducted her to the breakfast-parlour, where Lady Margaret and his friends expected her lady margaret received her with a coldness that bordered upon incivility irascible by nature and jealous by situation the appearance of beauty alarmed and of cheerfulness disgusted her she regarded with watchful suspicion whoever was addressed by her husband and having marked his frequent attendance at the deanery she had singled out cecilia for the object of her peculiar antipathy while cecilia perceiving her aversion, though ignorant of its cause, took care to avoid all intercourse with her but what ceremony exacted, and pitied in secret the unfortunate lot of her friend. The company now present consisted of one lady and several gentlemen. Miss Bennet, the lady, was in every sense of the phrase the humble companion of Lady Margaret. She was low-born, MEANLY EDUCATED AND NARROW-MINDED, A STRANGER ALIKE TO INNATE MERIT OR ACQUIRED ACCOMPLISHMENTS, YET SKILFUL IN THE ART OF FLATTERY, AND AN ADEPT IN EVERY SPECIES OF LOW CUNNING. WITH NO OTHER VIEW IN LIFE THAN THE ATTAINMENT OF AFFLUENCE WITHOUT LABOUR, SHE WAS NOT MORE THE SLAVE OF THE MISTRESS OF THE HOUSE THAN THE TOOL OF ITS MASTER, RECEIVING INDIGNITY WITHOUT MURMUR, AND SUBMITTING TO CONTEMPT AS A THING OF COURSE among the gentlemen the most conspicuous by means of his dress was mr Aresby, a captain in the militia a young man who having frequently heard the words red-coat and gallantry put together imagined the conjunction not merely customary but honourable and therefore without even pretending to think of the service of his country he considered a cockade as a badge of politeness and wore it but to mark his devotion to the ladies whom he held himself equipped to conquer and bound to adore the next who by forwardness the most officious took care to be noticed was mr maurice a young lawyer who though rising in his profession owed his success neither to distinguished abilities nor to skill supplying industry but to the art of uniting suppleness to others with confidence in himself to a reverence of rank talents and fortune the most profound he joined an assurance in his own merit which no superiority could depress and with a presumption which encouraged him to aim at all things he blended a good humour that no mortification could lessen and while by the pliability of his disposition he avoided making enemies by his readiness to oblige he learned the surest way of making friends by becoming useful to them there were also some neighbouring squires and there was one old gentleman who without seeming to notice any of the company sat frowning in the corner but the principal figure in the circle was mr belfield a tall thin young man whose face was all animation and whose eyes sparkled with intelligence he had been intended by his father for trade but his spirit soaring above the occupation for which he was designed from repining led him to resist and from resisting to rebel he eloped from his friends and contrived to enter the army but fond of the polite arts and eager for the acquirement of knowledge he found not this way of life much better adapted to his inclination than from which he had escaped he soon grew weary of it and reconciled to his father and entered at the temple but here, too volatile for serious study, and too gay for laborious application, he made little progress, and the same quickness of parts and vigor of imagination which, united with prudence, or accompanied by judgment, might have raised him to the head of his profession, being unhappily associated with fickleness and caprice, served to impede his improvement, and obstruct his preferment. And now, with little business, and that little neglected, a small fortune, and that fortune daily becoming less, the admiration of the world, but that admiration ending simply in civility, he lived an unsettled and unprofitable life, generally caressed and universally sought, yet careless of his interests and thoughtless of the future, devoting his time to company, his income to dissipation, and his heart to the muses. "'I bring you,' said Mr. Monckton, as he attended Cecilia into the room, "'a subject of sorrow in a young lady who never gave disturbance to her friends but in quitting them. "'If sorrow,' cried Mr. Belfield, darting upon her with his piercing eyes, "'wears in your part of the world a form such as this, who would wish to change it for a view of joy?' she's divinely handsome indeed cried the captain affecting an involuntary exclamation meantime celia who was placed next to the lady of the house quietly began her breakfast mr maurice the young lawyer with the most easy freedom seating himself at her side while mr monckton was elsewhere arranging the rest of his guests in order to secure that place for himself mr maurice without ceremony attacked his fair neighbour he talked of her journey, and of the prospects of gaiety which it opened to her view, but by these finding her unmoved, he changed his theme, and excipated upon the delights of the spot she was quitting, studious to recommend himself to her notice, and indifferent by what means, one moment he flippantly extolled the entertainments of the town, and the next rapturously described the charms of the country. A word— a look sufficed to mark her approbation or dissent, which he no sooner discovered than he slighted into her opinion with as much facility and satisfaction as if it had originally been his own. Mr Monckton, suppressing his chagrin, waited some time in expectation that when his young man saw he was standing, he would yield to him his chair; but the remark was not made, and the resignation was not thought of the captain too regarding the lady as his natural property for the morning perceived with indignation by whom he was supplanted while the company in general saw with much surprise the place they had severally forborne to occupy from respect to their host thus familiarly seized upon by the man who in the whole room had the least claim either from age or rank to consult nothing but his own inclination mr monckton however when he found that delicacy and good manners had no weight with his guest, thought it most expedient to allow them none with himself. And therefore, disguising his displeasure under an appearance of facetiousness, he called out, Come, Maurice, you that love Christmas sports, what say you to a game of move-all? I like it of all things, answered Maurice, and starting up from his chair he skipped to another. "'So should I, too,' cried Mr. Monckton, instantly taking his place, "'were I to remove from any seat but this.' Maurice, though he felt himself outwitted, was the first to laugh, and seemed as happy in the change as Mr. Monckton himself. Mr. Monckton now, addressing himself to Cecilia, said, "'We are going to lose you, and you seem concerned at leaving us. Yet in a very few months you will forget, Burry,' "'forget its inhabitants, and forget its environs.' "'If you think so,' answered Cecilia, "'must I not thence infer that Bury, its inhabitants, and its environs, "'will, in a few months, forget me?' "'Ay, ay, so much the better,' said Lady Margaret, muttering between her teeth, "'so much the better.' "'I am sorry you think so, madame,' cried Cecilia, colouring at her ill-breeding.' you will find said mr monckton affecting the same ignorance of her meaning that cecilia really felt as you mix with the world you will find that lady margaret has but expressed what by almost everybody is thought to neglect old friends and to court new acquaintance though perhaps not yet avowedly delivered as a precept from parents to children is nevertheless so universally recommended by example that those who act differently incur general censure for affecting singularity it is happy then for me answered cecilia that neither my actions nor myself will be sufficiently known to attract public observation you intend then madam said mr belfield in defiance of these maxims of the world to be guided by the light of your own understanding and such returned mr monckton At first setting out in life is the intention of every one. The closest reasoner is always refined in his sentiments, and always confident in his virtue. But when he mixes with the world, when he thinks less and acts more, he soon finds the necessity of accommodating himself to such customs as are already received, and of pursuing quietly the track that is already marked out. "'But not!' exclaimed Mr. Belfield— If he has the least grain of spirit, the beaten track will be the last that a man of parts will deign to tread, for common rules were ne'er designed directors of a noble mind. "'A pernicious maxim! A most pernicious maxim!' cried the old gentleman, who sat frowning in the corner of the room. "'Deviations from common rules,' said Mr. Monckton, without taking any notice of this interruption, when they proceed from genius, are not merely pardonable—' but admirable, and you, Mr. Belfield, have a peculiar right to plead their merits. But so little genius as there is in the world, you must surely grant that pleas of this sort are very rarely to be argued. "'And why rarely?' cried Mr. Belfield. "'But because your general rules, your appropriated customs, your settled forms,' "'are but so many absurd arrangements "'to impede not merely the progress of genius, "'but the use of understanding. "'If man dared act for himself, "'if neither worldly views, contracted prejudices, "'eternal precepts, nor compulsive examples, "'swayed his better reason and impelled his conduct, "'how noble indeed would it be! "'How infinite in faculties! "'In apprehension, how like a god!' "'All this,' answered Mr. Monckton, is but the doctrine of a lively imagination that looks upon impossibilities simply as difficulties and upon difficulties as mere invitations to victory but experience teaches another lesson experience shows that the opposition of an individual to the community is always dangerous in the operation and seldom successful in the event never indeed without an occurrence strange as desirable Of fortunate circumstances with great abilities and why is this returned mr belfield but because the attempt is so seldom made the pitiful prevalence of general conformity extirpates genius and murders originality man is brought up not as if he were the noblest work of god but as a mere ductile machine of human formation He is early taught that he must neither consult his understanding nor pursue his inclinations, lest, unhappily for his commerce with the world, his understanding should be averse to fools, and provoke him to despise them, and his inclinations to the tyranny of perpetual restraint, and give him courage to abjure it. "'I am ready enough to allow,' answered Mr. Monckton, "'that any eccentric genius such, for example, as yours,' may murmur at the tediousness of complying with the customs of the world, and wish, unconfined and at large, to range through life without any settled plan or prudential restriction. But would you, therefore, grant the same license to every one? Would you wish to see the world peopled with the fires of order and contemners of established forms, and not merely excuse the irregularities resulting from uncommon parts but encourage those also to lead who without blundering cannot even follow i would have all men replied Belfield, whether philosophers or idiots act for themselves every one would then appear what he is enterprise would be encouraged and imitation abolished genius would feel its superiority, and folly its insignificance. And then, and then only, should we cease to be surfeited with that eternal sameness of manner and appearance, which at present runs through all ranks of men. Petrifying dull work, this, mon ami, said the captain, in a whisper to Maurice. De grâce, start some new game. With all my heart, answered he, and then suddenly jumping up, exclaimed, "A hare, a hare! where, where, which way, all of the gentlemen arose and ran to different windows except the master of the house, the object of whose pursuit was already near him. Maurice, with much pretended earnestness, flew from window to window to trace footsteps upon the turf, which he knew had not printed it yet never inattentive to his own interest, when he perceived in the midst of the combustion he had raised, that Lady Margaret was incensed at the noise it produced, he artfully gave over his search, and seated himself in a chair next to her, eagerly offering to assist her with cakes, chocolates, or whatever the table afforded. He had, however, effectually broken up the conversation, and breakfast being over, Mr. Harrel ordered his chaise— "'and Celia arose to take leave. "'And now, not without some difficulty, "'could Mr. Monckton disguise the uneasy fears "'which her departure occasioned him. "'Taking her hand, "'I suppose,' he said, "'you will not permit an old friend to visit you in town, "'lest the sight of him should prove a disagreeable memorial "'of the time you will soon regret having wasted in the country.' why will you say this mr monckton cried celia i am sure you cannot think it these profound studiers of mankind madame said belfield are mighty sorry champions for constancy or friendship they wage war with all the expectations but of depravity and grant no quarter even to the purest designs where they think there will be any temptation to deviate from them temptation mr monckton is very easy of resistance, in theory. But if you reflect upon the great change of situation, Miss Beverley will experience. Upon the new scenes she will see, the new acquaintance she must take, and the new connections she may form, you will not wonder at the anxiety of a friend for her welfare. "'But I presume,' cried Belfield with a laugh, "'Miss Beverley does not mean to convey her person to town.' and leave her understanding locked up with other natural curiosities in the country why therefore may not the same discernment regulate her adoption of new acquaintance and choice of new connections that guided her selection of the old ones do you suppose that because she is to take leave of you she is to take leave of herself where fortune smiles upon youth and beauty answered mr monckton Do you think it has nothing that their fair possessor should make a sudden transition of situation from the quietness of a retired life in the country, to the gaiety of a splendid town residence? Where fortune frowns upon youth and beauty, returned Belfield, they may not irrationally excite commiseration, but where nature and chance unite their forces to bless the same object— what room there may be for alarm or lamentation i confess i cannot divine what cried mr monckton with some emotion are there not sharpers fortune-hunters sycophants wretches of all sorts of denominations who watch the approach of the rich and unwary feed upon their inexperience and prey upon their property come come cried mr harrel "'It is time I should hasten my fair ward away, "'if this is your method of describing the place she is going to live in.' "'It is possible,' cried the captain, advancing to Cecilia, "'that this lady has never yet tried the town?' And then, lowering his voice, and smiling languishly in her face, he added, "'Can anything so divinely handsome have been immured in the country?' "'Ah, Can you make it a principle to be so cruel? Cecilia, thinking such a compliment merited not any other notice than a slight bow, turned to Lady Margaret, and said, Should your ladyship be in town this winter, may I expect the honor of hearing where I may wait upon you? I don't know whether I shall go or not, answered the old lady, with her usual ungraciousness. Celia would now have hastened away, but Mr. Monckton stopped her, again expressed his fears of the consequences of her journey. "'Be upon your guard,' he cried, "'with all new acquaintance. Judge nobody from appearances. Form no friendships rashly. Take time to look about you, and remember you can make no alteration in your way of life without greater probability of faring worse than chance of faring better.' keep, therefore, as you are, and the more you see of others, the more you will rejoice that you neither resemble nor are connected with them. "'This from you, Mr. Monckton,' cried Belfield, "'what is become of your conformity system? I thought all the world was to be alike, or only so much the worse for any variation.' "'I spoke,' said Mr. Monckton, "'of the world in general, not of this lady in particular.' and who that knows, who that sees her, would not wish it were possible she might continue in every respect exactly and unalterably what she is at present. "'I find,' said Cecilia, "'you are determined that flattery at least, should I meet with it, shall owe no pernicious effects to its novelty.' "'Well, Miss Beverly,' cried Mr. Harrel, "'will you now venture to accompany me to town?' or has mr monckton frightened you from proceeding any farther if replied cecilia i felt no more sorrow in quitting my friends than i feel in terror venturing to london with how light a heart should i make the journey brava cried belfield i am happy to find the discourse of mr monckton has not intimidated you nor prevailed upon you to deplore your condition in having the accumulated misery of being young, fair, and affluent. "'Alas! poor thing!' exclaimed the old gentleman who sat in the corner, fixing his eyes upon Cecilia with an expression of mingled grief and pity. Cecilia started, but no one else paid him any attention. The usual ceremonies of leave-taking now followed, and the captain, with most obsequious reverence, "'advanced to conduct Celia to the carriage, "'but in the midst of the dumb eloquence "'of his bows and smiles, "'Mr. Maurice, affecting not to perceive his design, "'skipped gaily between them, "'and, without any previous formality, "'seized the hand of Celia himself, "'failing not, however, "'to temper the freedom of his action "'by a look of respect the most profound. "'The captain shrugged and retired,' But Mr. Monckton, enraged at his assurance, and determined it should nothing avail him, exclaimed, "'Why, how now, Maurice? Do you take away the privilege of my house?' "'True, true,' answered Maurice, "'you members of Parliament have an undoubted right to be tenacious in your privileges.' Then, bowing with a look of veneration to Cecilia, he resigned her hand with an air of as much happiness as he had taken it. Mr. Monckton, in leading her to the chase, again begged permission to wait upon her in town. Mr. Harrel took the hint, and entreated him to consider his house as his own, and Cecilia, gratefully thanking him for his solicitude in her welfare, added, "'And I hope, sir, you will honour me with your counsel and admonitions with respect to my future conduct,' Whenever you have the goodness to let me see you, this was precisely his wish. He begged in return that she would treat him with confidence and then suffered the chase to drive off. End of chapter Two. Recording by Nicky Sullivan, Chicago.